14. Here's the pitch by Downing. Swinging. There's a dive into left center field. That ball in front of me. Out of here. It's gone. It's 7-15. There's a new home run champion of all time. And it's Henry Aaron. From the Tanglewood Studios on the Baseball 101 Network, this is the Baseball 101 Go Six Podcast. So welcome to the show, the Go Six Podcast, hosted by me, Scott Wasliger. This week we have an interesting show for you. We'll do our Major League Baseball talk. We will do our playlist song of the week. But based on listener request, I thought I would replay an interview that I did with legendary college baseball coach Andy Lopez. He and I talked back in early February, and it was a very enlightening interview, and I think you'll see that uh, he talks about a lot of things besides baseball or intertwines faith and what he wants his identity to be. Don't forget, he's a two-time national champion at two different schools, so he has rings. He's legendary, and he's very insightful. I think you'll find uh, the interview with him really good. So I hope you enjoy it, and we'll be back right after this. Thanks for joining the Go Six podcast. We're so blessed and grateful to have our next guest, retired and legendary coach Andy Lopez. His 38-year career coaching coaching career includes more than a thousand wins. He has taken three programs, Pepperdine, Florida, and Arizona, to the College World Series, and has won two national championships at Pepperdine in '92 and 20 years later at the University of Arizona in 2012. And to think, Coach, all of this started with a prank phone call. <laughs> coach, Coach, thanks so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Um, we are trying to kind of target coaches, players, and parents, and I think having you on today is a blessing because we can get some good uh, coaching information. We appreciate it. Well, again, thank you so much, Scott. And, uh, yeah, the game was uh, really good to me and my family and, you know, in terms of what we were able to – to see and experience, and uh, anything I can do to give back, I, I you know, I'm more than more than happy to do so. But, uh, but yeah, the prank phone call, the magical prank phone call. <laughs> I had a buddy of mine. I was 22 years old, 23 years old. I just got out of UCLA. I was drafted by the Detroit Tigers. That's another story in itself. I didn't sign. I was a ninth round draft pick and did not sign a contract. I, I, I truly believe it was the sovereignty of God as I look back on it now. But at the time, I was a young guy, and I'm, you know, I really didn't know Christ as my Lord and Savior at the time. But, but, uh, but, you know, I was, I was just, you know, busy trying to play the game. And lo and behold, um, I went and worked uh, one year uh, at the junior college that I attended, and uh, L.A. Harbor Junior College here in Los Angeles, California. Sure. And um, and uh, a, a dear buddy of mine, we grew up together in, my, in the same hometown, San Pedro, California. We used to play prank phone calls on each other. We would literally call each other up and say, "This is." Bob Smith with the Cincinnati Reds, can you come over to Peck Park, which is the local park in our town, and at 11 o'clock on Saturday, we're going to give you a workout, maybe sign you a contract, <laughs> and oh yeah, we do these things, and 
So I get done coaching my uh, my first year there at the junior college, and um, and I get a call. And you know, there's no cell phones in 19. Uh, what was it? God, was it 76, 77, something like that? 1977, I guess. I get a call and I uh, and I hear this voice say, "Is this Andy Lopez?" Yes. Well, this is Dick Jacobson, superintendent of schools. Blah blah blah. And I don't even hear the rest of it. I hang up. Bam. I just hang up. <laughs> Because that's Bobby Ramirez. That's my buddy. We're playing, sure, play, sure. Playing phone call well, I don't take two steps away from the phone, landline, you know, again, no cell phones. I take two steps away, go where I'm, you know, whatever I'm going to do. And phone rings again. I pick it up, and there's the same voice. And I realize, oh, my gosh. <laughs> so I said, Mr. Jacobson, would you please forgive me? I thought this was a prank phone call, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He proceeds to offer me a job at Maricosta High School teaching five classes of freshman Spanish, uh, varsity baseball coach, and frostball football coach. And uh, I had I wasn't working at the time. I was you know I worked for free at the junior college, and I was doing some you know, little things here and there. I was longshoring every night, every every now and then on the docks, which is a big thing in my hometown, in, uh, Los Angeles Harbor. And um, and uh, so I took it. I said, I got nothing to do. I'm not making any money. I, yeah, let me take this thing. So I, I took it, and I was there for five years. That's great. That's a fantastic story. Love it when I heard it, and love hearing it again. Uh, once you're now you started at Miracosta, uh, at what point did you realize, hey, wow, this is really something I, I really enjoy. This this is something I really want to keep keep yeah. going, keep doing. Okay, I got to be honest. Now you've asked me to do this. I'm gonna be honest. Sure. Uh, uh, I started in 1978 at Maricosta. I did that for five years. After that, I went to a place called Cal State Dominguez Hills. They offered me the job, a Division II program, and I took it, a college job, and I did that for uh, six years. And then I, at the end of that six-year period, I was offered the job at Pepperdine University. And in my fourth year there, which was 1992, now I started in 78 at Maricosta, so the math majors out there can do the work on this. I'm bad with numbers. So in 78, I took the job at Maricosta. I did it for five years, and I went to Dominguez Hills. I did that for six years. And in my fourth year at uh, Pepperdine University, the Lord bless us, we won the national championship. We beat sure. State Fullerton, Augie Garrido, and won a national title. And on the flight home, my wife, um, I got married my second year at Dominguez Hills to my wife. And uh, on the flight home, uh, my wife nudged me in the arm and went, you probably need to stay in this profession. She said that. <laughs> she said that because in 1985 I tried to take a job with UPS and get out of the profession. In 1991, a year before the national championship, I I accepted a job uh, with a uh, insurance company as a management position, and I took I took it for one day, uh, literally for for eight hours, and woke up the next morning and realized I I I can't do this. So I I said. Hey, I made a mistake. I know what I said last night. It's very embarrassing, very humbling, but I'm going to stay in coaching. And well, lo and behold, next year we win the national title. Um, so I was trying to get out. Again, not many people believe this, but this is a true story. Remember now, I took the prank phone call and took the job at Maricosta. Why? Because I didn't have another job. Yes. I never applied for a job in my entire career. I didn't. I to this day, I don't have a resume. Um, I just worked hard where I was. That's what I told young coaches forever. Just work really hard where you're at. Believe that where you're at is the big time. Don't look at other things. Just look where you're at. Don't don't compare. Just do a great job right where you're at. Someone will notice, and they'll come knocking. And uh, and I did it. So I I I. But here's the other thing. The truth to it, 
and I loved the profession. I really did, but but I wasn't pursuing the profession. I really wasn't. I was not pursuing the profession. I was pursuing uh, my faith, uh, and I was pursuing excellence. And and because of that, I believe that you know God opened doors for me at uh, you know the places I ended up coaching. Sure, and I've I've heard someone say before, you know, be, as a coach, be where your feet are, do your best mm-hmm. job where you are, and like you said. Things, opportunities may present themselves. Oh, without a doubt, um, without a doubt. Absolutely. As a new coach, when you first started actually coaching, how did you learn about coaching? Was it trial and error? Did you have Oof. mentors? Well, I was very fortunate. I played for Gary Adam at UCLA. He was a great college coach, and I learned a lot from him. I was a shortstop, so I learned a lot from him. I was captain of the team, so I, you know, I, I kind of got a lot of, uh, I got a lot of information from Coach Adams, dear, dear friend, great coach. Um, and um, and I came from a really good baseball town, San Pedro, California. There's a lot of big leaguers that came out of that little town. There's only 40,000 people in it. It's in Los Angeles. It's about 30 miles south of uh, LAX. But, you know, guys like uh, Gary Maddox, who was a Golden Glove winner for the Philadelphia Phillies when, they, when he played there. And, you know, Alan Ashby played 14 years in the big leagues with the Houston Astros. Sure. Joe Lovito, Eddie Urak. Brian Harper was a catcher on the uh, Minnesota Twins World Championship team. Guys like that, we were all we all grew up in the same town, and we really taught each other the game. But in terms of coaching, in terms of managing uh, the game, game management, uh, budgets on the field, uh, parents, alumni, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, I really got thrown to the wolves, so to speak. I mean, literally got thrown to the wolves. Um, and so I've made this statement quite a few times too. There's a lot of things that I can teach you if I sat down with you and said, okay, I did this for 38 years as a head coach. I was an assistant for one year, head coach for 38 years. I can teach you a lot of things, I think, uh, just because of my experience. But you know what? The best things are the things you're going to get caught. In other words, C-A-U-G-H-T. You're going to – you know, I can teach you some things, but you're just – some things you're just going to catch. It's just going to sure. happen. And, sure, uh, sure. you know, the first time you mess up the budget, the first time you, you, you realize, ooh, I should have handled that phone call a little better with that parent. The first time you, you, uh, you, you know, you, you, have, you have a tough loss and you've got to go to an alumni function and, and put on a happy face and you don't. You know, uh, it, 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 I learned the hard way, so to speak. Um, I had great people that I admired uh, that I, I played against and coached against, you know, the John Scalinas's, the, the Jerry Kindles. Uh, Augie Garrido, uh, Skip Bertman. I mean, I, 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 Mike Martin. I, I, I was fortunate to coach against really good coaches. And, um, and, and you know, the beauty of that time of life is I could go to those guys and literally say, Coach, how about this? You, you know, I see you guys are doing this. What about this? And you know what? I don't know how it is nowadays, but boy, I tell you, th- those guys were so receptive to a young coach. So, so I had a lot of mentors. Mark Marcus. Mike Gillespie, I had a lot of good people in my life, and uh, and they helped me. They helped me along the way. Yeah, I feel like baseball lends itself to that maybe more than even other sports, having coached a little bit in other sports at lower levels. But yeah. baseball, it seems that coaches, especially ones that have been in the game a while, really enjoy sharing information and, and helping younger coaches. I know many, many helped me along the way. That's yeah. really great, good stuff. And I would encourage um, a young coach to ask those old guys. Don't feel sure. shy. Ask them. You'd be surprised. I I couldn't believe how many times young coaches would say, "Oh, coach, I want to give you a call." And I said, "Yeah, give me a call." And 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 they say, "Oh, well, I know you're really busy." I'd go, 
Oh, yeah, everybody's busy, though. Like, you know, the plumber's yeah, busy. Yeah, A banker's sure. busy. You know, a house painter's busy. But call me, and we'll talk. We'll talk about sure. the game. So, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I've heard you say uh, multiple times that practices belong to you and the games belong to your players. Can you elaborate on that philosophy a little bit? Yeah, yeah. You know, again, as I you know, probably heard over the you know this interview, like my, the most important thing in my life is my faith in my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's been 40 years now since I surrendered my life to Christ. And um, But I was a really – I grew up in the projects. I, I was in a street gang for two and a half years. Not like gangs of today. Thank God. Man, oh, man. But, you know, you know, 15 Mexican kids in Rancho San Pedro, we call ourselves the Persuasions and – you know, I wish I could say we were out selling Boy Scout cookies, but we weren't. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so I had a real toughness to me that was ingrained in growing up. Um, and so even in, in my faith, I joke with people a lot. I, I was more of an Old Testament guy <laughs> than a New Testament guy. Right, you know, right. In the sense of it was, it was sometimes very difficult for Andy Lopez to turn the other cheek. I'm not going to lie. And I, and I hated losing, and, um, and, I, and I demanded excellence. I'm a very disciplined man, and I demanded it out of my program. So I was very intense as a coach during practice, during practice. Man, practices were mine. If if I started yelling or screaming or we're going to run sprints or we're going to do this, they belonged to me because ultimately my goal was to get these young guys ready to be successful. Everybody wants to be successful. There's a scoreboard out there, and they're keeping score. It's you know, And I used to tell my players all the time, Hey, fellas, man, the clouds aren't made of cotton candy, and, and the bushes over there in the right field corner, you can't eat those. They're not, they're not gumdrops. Sure, I mean, it's, sure. It's reality. They're going to keep score. And the higher levels you go, the more you swim with sharks. I want to prepare you to go to the Division One level. I want to prepare you to go to pro ball. I want to prepare you to, to, have a, 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 to have a great marriage, to be a successful businessman. And the reality of that world out there is it's tough. And it's not fair. And anybody that tells you it's easy and it's really fair is lying to you. So practices were mine, and I ran them the way I wanted to. Uh, I'm sure many, many people would come to my practice and walk away and say, there's no way that guy's a Christian. But I was, and I loved my Lord with all my heart as I do now. But I loved my players, and I wanted to get them ready for life. Games, I said, belong to them for this reason. I didn't want them doubled up in concentration. I didn't want them looking at me if they made a mistake. I didn't want them looking at me if, uh, was I happy, was I sad. I tried to teach my athletes that practices were mine, pay attention to what I'm saying and my, what my staff is saying, and be diligent to give every effort to, 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 not only, to not only understand it, but to apply it and to retain it. But games... They're yours. I'm going to sit over here in the corner, and you make the biggest mistake in the world. I'm not going to say a thing. I may talk to you tomorrow at practice, but I'm not going to say a thing. And 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 you get the biggest hit in the world. You know what? I'm going to pat you on the back. The games are yours. The game's a hard game, so I want you to concentrate on the game. I don't want you to be concentrating on Coach Lopez or anybody on staff. Uh, again, are they happy? Are they sad? Did I make a mistake? Are they you know, are they upset because I made it? No, no, no. Let's get that out of the system. So I made that real plain to our guys. And uh, and I think they understood it because our practices were very intense. And uh, and games, uh, to quite honestly, like I said, I, you know, we sat there and I said, I'm going to try to make the decisions and put you in the right situation to succeed. But ultimately, you're swinging the bat. You're throwing the pitch and you're catching the ball. I'm not doing it. 
you know, so sure. go get it. Sure. Go get it and have a good time doing it. Yeah, it sounds like such a sound philosophy because you watch a lot of games at every level, and a lot of times when there's mistakes made in game oh, yeah. play, whether it be baseball, even basketball, I see it probably even more where the player's immediately looking over to the bench. Exactly. Um, Exactly. You know, now sometimes maybe over to parents too, but mostly to the bench and, and you right. know, look, am I going to come out? Is he mad? Right. You know, that kind of thing. Right. Um, right. I think that's a really sound philosophy and, and, and it allows them to play free and easy, which ultimately right. helps, helps the program, helps the team. I agree. One, 1,000%. One that was my, my, that was my philosophy in a nutshell. Games were mine or practices were mine. And, you know, if I came out and, and, and jumped around like a nut for two hours, that was because I thought it would help us. But, you know, the next night at the game, I'm going to sit over in the corner. I mean, you're, you're barely going to find me. You know, I didn't coach third sure. base. I did early in my career, but toward middle of my career, I started just staying in the corner of the dugout. And, you know, you guys go, man. It's your day. Have a good time. Sure, absolutely. I've been dying to ask uh, you this, and I, and I love asking this question of a lot of different coaches at different levels, but uh, especially at the highest of levels. Going to take you back to the 2012 College World Series with with Arizona. You're an out away from the championship with a 4-1 lead, but the bases are loaded. I mean, it's not easy. Uh, can you recall what's going through your mind at that exact moment, and then <laughs> the feeling when you see the lazy fly ball to right field uh, yeah. that's going to hopefully wrap it up? Ironically, this is, you know, after 38 years of coaching, I mean, or 30-something years at that time, but you know, I'd been there a few times, I'd been to Omaha a few times, and, and was fortunate to win the national title, but the line drive before the flyout was, the was I, I probably, I was, to very candidly, very candidly, I was really relaxed. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know bases were loaded, I know their catcher was up, who's end up, he's playing in the big leagues now, but I, uh, but the, the they had a young man I don't recall his name, but the line drive before the flyout was a line drive that I thought was through the out through the infield, and I thought okay we're gonna be you know we're gonna be up by one run they're gonna get two runs on this so it's gonna be four to three right off the bat I went okay that's four to three now what am I gonna do with this next pitching decision what have you. It went right to our second baseman, and it's probably the greatest base running I've ever seen by a base college base runner. But there, I thought line drive double play, we just won it, and yes. their runner at second got back, and he was there, and he was safe. Yeah, but yeah. After the play, I didn't even go out and argue the play. In fact, I was in awe of it. And Ray Tanner's a dear friend of mine. He did a marvelous job at South Carolina, great coach. But I remember thinking at that time, after that play, if that ball didn't get through. We're in pretty good shape. <laughs> right, right, right. Just, sure. Just because the game is, you know, I, I've been, hey, I've been on the other side where you make a great pitch and he blooks it over the first baseman's head, and as much as you don't want to think this, you're going, oh man, something, something ain't going good here. There's right, going to be some. Right. There's a momentum switch here on that bloop base hit. Sure, you know, that bloop sure. Base hit. So as soon as the line drive was caught by a second baseman and didn't get through, I felt pretty good, even though it was base loaded. I went. I think we're going to be all right here. And, you know, yeah, we got the yeah. lazy fly ball and we won the thing. So I was more wrapped up on the at-bat the, previous to that one. Sure, yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. Yeah. Interesting, great, great stuff. I know your bio, and I know, you know, everybody who interviews you goes through the bio, those national championships and all the successes, but I've heard you speak pretty candidly and pretty eloquently as to why that's not necessarily your identity. In fact, I've heard you say, 
um, the phrase, I'm indifferent to human achievement, but have a passion for excellence. How do you explain that? And how do you think that helps helped you or helps anyone in coaching? Yeah. Um, in 1992, I took a team, Pepperdine University, went to the, uh, we went to the College World Series. Um, I'm going to give you kind of a long general answer to this question, but I, but I think it, it's, it's, it has to be answered this way because sure. it, it, it's it's what happened to me. In nine, up until 1992, I was you know I was like every young coach trying to be successful, trying to keep his job, trying to you know trying to trying to climb that so-called ladder. Uh, I got married in 1983, and so my bride. We had four children. They're all kind of out of the house now, but you know they're little guys back then. And I'm at Pepperdine University, and we take a team to Omaha, and we win the national title. Now the kicker to it is at the banquet before the uh, tournament starts, they ask every coach to come up and, and introduce his team and say a little bit about their team. That year, Ron Fraser from Miami was there, Augie Garrido was there, Mike Martin was there, uh, Bob Alano was there. Uh, uh, you know, there were some real heavyweights there, right? Sure. And, here, and here's this 37-year-old Mexican kid from L.A., from Pepperdine University, and and uh, we show up, and the guy that's a, a, a – the MC says, uh, he says, and now we're going to have the Pepper Dean head coach. It's Pepper Dean. <laughs> we're going to have the Pepper Dean. We're going to have the Pepper Dean head coach come up and uh, tell us a little bit about his team. And so I kind of, you know, okay, that's okay. He didn't, you know, Pepperdine wasn't a, they haven't been there a lot. You know, they haven't been there a lot, you know. So I understand that. He says, okay, Al, you want to come up here? Hey, Al, come on up here. <laughs> Al Lopez. So, so to this day, to this day, when I talk to my players from that program, they call me Al as a joke. Hey, Al, how you doing? Sure. And every now and then they'll say, hey, coach, you think they understand how to say Pepperdine now? And I go, yeah, I think they do. But anyway, now that's the premise to this whole philosophy. We win the national title. So we win the dang thing, right? We're, we're now the national champions of college baseball, 3,000 students, you know, and all the rest. A year to the exact day the next year, the very next year to the exact day that we won the national championship, I was at uh, Los Robles Hospital with my mother-in-law, my father-in-law, my mom and dad, and my pastor, and my four kids running around me. My wife was going in for thyroid cancer operation, and they weren't sure if it had gotten into part of our different parts of her glands, what have you, and it was a six-hour operation. And I remember sitting in that hospital and saying, Lord, I don't ever care if I win another game. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I just want my wife. And I want her healthy because I got these four little kids. And how the heck am I going to raise these kids and so on and so forth? She was fine. It's great. And thank God everything's been fine ever since. And from that moment on, I said, you know what? This can't be my identity for one reason. A year ago, I was on the top of the world, but that has no factor on what's happening in this hospital for the next six hours. Sure. So, so from that moment on, I said I will have an indifference to human achievement because it's easy to get caught up in human achievement, to look at all the awards, to look at the people slapping you on the back, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and you lose your identity in that. My identity will be that I will be a Christian man, a good father, a good husband. I will seek excellence, but I will not allow the awards and the accolades to be my identity. So I said... I will have an indifference to human achievement, but I will seek excellence. I'll have a passion for excellence. As a husband, as a Christian, uh, as a coach, you know, I'm going to get after it. I'm going to get after it. 
but I'm not going to let it be my identity. And so that's basically where, where it all stems from is I, 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 and I taught my athletes that, you know, ever, all the kids, all the young men that play for me after the two national championships know that I, I pulled them in after the game and I said, fellas, we just won the national title. What a phenomenal moment. You'll remember this moment the rest of your life, but it cannot be your identity. Your identity is who you're going to be as a man, as a husband, as a father, as a son, as a businessman, what have you. But it, this can't be your identity. But, man, is it a great moment. And, man, it's a moment. You, you need to cherish the moment. But it's but a moment in your life. It can't be your identity. And sure, sure. Sadly, in athletics, sometimes uh, we allow it to become our identity. Yeah, and, no, absolutely. And, and you know what? You have the highest of highs, and then you know where, right, Scott? You have the lowest of lows. You have the lowest of lows. Sure. And, uh, yeah, I think it's a great lesson for anyone, really, as an athlete or in coaching, uh, because you do get sometimes caught up in the wins and losses and then, uh, you know, feel pretty proud and sometimes dwell on the, the wins maybe a little longer than we should. Oh, J- yeah, just like no. we dwell on the losses a little longer than we should. Oh, I heard you, yeah. heard you talking about how well, losses, kills, you know, kill you more yeah. than the wins. You know, I often yeah. have conversations with my wife about, you know, I don't know what the more extreme emotion is, the winning, um, you know, the great feeling of winning or the just absolute terrible feeling of losing when you look back yeah. and as yeah. a coach you could have changed some things. Yeah, and, if if I could go back and do it, Scott, I would I would I would really enjoy the wins a lot more than I uh the losses disturbed me. Sure, I I, sure. I I was not a good loser. You know, it did deny my faith, but I'm just being real. I'm being very honest and very realistic. Is, hey man, I'm not perfected, not on this side. You know, I'm still working on on on, on being the man I need to be and my, the Christian walk that I need to have and all the rest. But, but man, I hated losing. Oh man, and it got to the point in my career where, you know, wins like we're supposed to win. You know, hey, we're supposed to win. Yeah, you know, hey, yeah. On, we're supposed to win. Come on, I've been national coach of the year three times. We're supposed to win. Right. And when we sure. Didn't, and when we didn't, holy smokes, man, it just, oh, my God, it felt miserable. So if there's one advice I would give to a young coach, it'd be, man, enjoy the wins. Loss are going to hurt, but, boy, every time you get one, every time you win one, try to enjoy the heck out of it. <laughs> yeah, precious. of course. They're precious. Of course. Yeah. Hey, so your son, Michael, uh, is a head coach at Howard College in Texas. Mm-hmm. If I were to get him on the line, what are some of the things he would say that you might regularly remind him about when you're talking baseball and maybe giving him some advice? <laughs> well, the first two things I say to him in text messages constantly are two things. Honor God. You know, I say honor your God with your time. Whenever you get some dead time, honor your God in prayer and reading, what have you. Honor your God and teach. Teach the game. Teach the game. I always believe this. I grew up in Los Angeles. I listened to Vin Scully my entire life. My father loved the Dodgers. I'm not a Dodger fan per se, but I listened to Vin Scully because my dad would listen to the games, and he'd have it on the radio all the time. Vin Scully, Vin Scully could tell you when to hit and run or when to steal on base. I heard him on the radio on numerous occasions say in that great voice of his, it's a 3-1 count now. It's a good time to stay out of double play, and they'll probably start the runner up, and there goes the runner on a 3-1 count. It's a good it's a good time to run now. It's a two two count and boom, there goes a runner on two two count. And I thought one day I said, Wow, Vince Scully could coach. Yeah, but Vince Scully couldn't teach. Maybe he could, but my impression is that he probably couldn't teach. In other words, right. there's a difference there's a difference between coaching and teaching. In other words, I tell my son this all the time, honor your God and learn the game so you can teach the game. Teach that guy how to steal second base in a two two count. 
teach that guy how to make contact in a 3-1 count so his runner doesn't get thrown out to protect him and stay on the double play. So learn to teach the game. And by doing that, that means you ask older coaches. You get on videos. You buy books. You ask an old guy like me, what would you do in this situation? What would you do in that situation? But you learn the game so that you can teach the game. So that, those are the two things I tell them constantly. Yeah, absolutely. Great stuff. Great stuff. Thanks for sharing that. What can a coach say to his team? You And obviously you've been in, you know, countless huge games. What what can a coach at any level say to his team before a big game that might help them relax a little bit, especially if he sees that they're a little on edge? <laughs> Um, my standard my standard lines were basically the same thing. Again, understand that practices were always mine. And in those practices, I bet my players heard this statement a thousand times. I'm going to motivate you with the truth. Now, that's a hard thing. Mm-hmm. I'm, going to, I'm going to motivate you with the truth. Now, some people, if they hear the truth, they don't get motivated. In fact, they get destroyed and they quit. But I believe that you have the makeup to be motivated by the truth. And the truth is, the way we're going about it today, we will never see a College World Series. Forget it. Don't even dream about it. Don't even talk about it. Don't even, don't even put it in your vocabulary. We're not going about it the right way. We're not concentrating the right way. We're not playing catch the right We're not okay. And then when there were some days where we were, I'd say, hey, you know, based off of what I see today, you have every right to wake up tomorrow morning Look at your roommate and say, you know what? We can be in Omaha this year. We can get there. So I would always call, I would do that as a group, and I would do that as an individual player. I would ask an individual player, what are your goals? And when they would tell me, I'd say, you're not going to you know. In my opinion, you can prove me wrong, but in my professional opinion, what your goals are are not going to be reached because your work habits or because your concentration level, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So let me motivate you with the truth. Okay. Sure, sure. If you've done that from – August, you know, September, October, November, December off, right? January, February, March, April, May, June. If you've done that for eight or nine months, if you've been honest with your guys and been truthful with your guys, good days and bad days, you've been really honest with guys. You, you win a game 11 to 10 and you make three airs and walk eight guys and everybody wants to celebrate and you sit down and you go, fellas, no, no, that, that, that was horrible. That was horrible. That was brutal. We we were lucky today. That don't don't no. You can't celebrate that. Mm-hmm. You can't celebrate sure. that. Yeah. Okay. So if you're honest with them, you lose a game two to one in twelve innings. You lose it twelve to one. And I have these. You know, I've been on both ends. You lose it two to one in twelve innings. You fellas, oh, what a great game. Man, we didn't get that break in the tenth inning or another. But man, what a great game. What a phenomenal. Boy, I love the way you guys went about today. Yeah, it's a loss. We're fine. We're, you know, you got fifty six of them. What the heck? You know, there's fifty six games, but. Wow, what a great game. You keep doing that, fellas. We're going to be in great shape when the season's all said and done. If you do that for nine months, you tell them the truth, I really believe this, and I did this every time we got into big games. I would look them in the eye and say, fellas, you deserve to be here. You can be nervous. You know, you can be a little anxious. Now, get it out of your system as quickly as possible and realize this. You deserve this moment. Now, have a good time. And compete. Just compete. Just compete. Just tell me. Just tell me when it's all said and done. You're gonna look at each other and say, "Man, we got after tonight, didn't we? We got after it." 
Well, that was it. And so it was easy for me to do that because for nine months they've heard me. There were days I'd pull them in in the, in the middle of, I mean, hey, Scott, there were days I stopped practice one hour into practice and, and sent them home. Mm-hmm. Sent them home. Sure, yeah, yeah. You guys don't want I to bet. be here. You don't want to be here. Right. Don't, don't, right. No, 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 you don't want to be here. So you, know what? you want to go home and watch Oprah Winfrey or you want to go home and watch Reality TV? Go home. See you later. I'll see you guys tomorrow. And so I was really honest with them. And there were days at the end of a practice, I'd look at them and I'd say, man, I love suiting up with you guys. Yeah, I love being in the, I, I love being in the same uniform with you guys, the way you go about it, the way you get after it, the way you compete. I love being out here with you guys, man. I really, really appreciate your effort today. So they heard the truth constantly for nine months, sometimes very good, sometimes not so good. And so when you got to that big moment, you look them in the eye and say, hey, guys, you deserve this, man. And you know what? They go out and do it. They go out and play hard. Sure, fantastic yeah. advice. Because, like you said, those those nine, eight or nine months previously, your words in the in the key moments towards the end of the season or in a big game become very believable because oh, they've been yeah. hearing the truth all year long. Yeah, and we all know this. I mean, come on, I, I tell my guys all the time. Hey, it's not who you are out here; it's who you are when you're away from everybody. Sure. Who are you when you're away from everybody? You're all by yourself. Are you working on the game? Are you studying the game? Are you becoming a disciple of the game? The word disciple in the Greek language means a disciplined learner, a disciplined learner. And I used to tell my players all the time, you, I, I, I'm going to coach players this year, and then by the grace of God, I'm going to have about 10 to 12 disciples. I'll take 25. But I know there's some players out here. You're players. You're in baseball uniform. You play at the university. You're a play, you're a baseball player. Congratulations. But, man, we need about 12, 15 disciples. We need guys that are disciplined learners. They understand the game. They break it down. They're, 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 they're disciples. And, and, uh, and you don't do that in front of anybody. You do that when you're all by yourself. You become sure. a disciple in your dorm room. You become a disciple all by yourself in a room somewhere, and you're learning the game of baseball. Well, I've heard you say that before, and I'm so glad you brought it up because it wasn't on my list of questions about the disciples. And I also heard you say once that out of all the years that you've been coaching and had a lot of success and and in the most humble way, uh, when you talk about that, you've mentioned that you've probably had six, seven, maybe eight guys who have played actually in the major leagues for a long time and had long careers and made a living out of it. And and the reason you mentioned it is because you you were ex- expressing the importance of teaching life's lessons when you're coaching baseball. Right, right. No, I, I, you know what? Um, there's a, a phenomenal scripture in Jeremiah, uh, the 12th chapter, the 5th verse. It says, if you've raced with men, it's God. God is answering Jeremiah's prayer. Jeremiah's complaining. We've all done that. I've done that at least. Complain about the unfairness of this or this guy's. This guy's recruiting, he's cheating. Gosh, come on, Lord. Everybody knows this guy's cheating. He keeps getting players, and, uh, you know, we're trying to do it right, da, 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 da. And God responds to him and says, if you race with men on foot and they have wearied you, how will you compete with the horses of excellence? You know, and, man, when I read that 40 years ago, I went, yeah, okay, that's me. I, I want to compete with the horses. And, and I've told my athletes forever, man, fellas, you have no idea what life has for you down the road. I mean, you know, I've had three of my ex-players all lose their wives to breast cancer. And I've stayed very close to all three of them. And, um, boy, when they were going through it, I mean, all I could think about was, wow, how many days were on that field? And, you know, and they thought that was hard. You know, they thought when Coach Lopez was yelling at them or making them run extra spins or doing whatever, they thought that was hard. But how many times I, I would tell them, 
you know, one day, fellas, you're going to really compete with the horses of excellence. Like, this is just men. That's a, this is nine-on-nine nine in a scoreboard. You, of course, there, of course. There's, yeah. there's horses of excellence in your life. You know, you might lose your job when you're 50 years old. You know, uh, hey, you might come in one day and your wife says, I'm, I'm not happily married to you anymore. Yeah, I, I don't know, but there's things out there. There's things out there. I mean, I mean, uh, in 2006, I took every Monday off and flew to Los Angeles from Tucson, Arizona, and spent the day with my dad, knowing that he was in the last year of his life. And you know, and, and then I came home Monday night, and Tuesday I'm right back at the office trying to win baseball games. You know, I mean, that that was no fun. That that yeah. you know, that was yeah, that was that was that was that was hard. So so um, yeah, you know, you, you're trying to get them ready to win a game, but man, oh man, you're trying to get them ready to win life. Yeah, absolutely. Coach, um, what's a day in the life look like for you now? <laughs> Nothing, and I love it. No, <laughs> no, I, 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 you know what? I, I spend as much time as I can with my wife. You know, gosh, she's such, she was such a blessing to me. I mean, she never once in my thirty-six years of marriage, and you know, I mean, she, uh, you know, she's she has been married to me since the day I took a college job. I didn't know her as a high school coach, uh, so she was with me my entire college career. There was not one day in my wife. Uh, or in my relationship with my wife Linda, that she said, you know, where you been, or why are you coming home so late? I mean, I never felt any stress. I mean, if I had to stay extra and work with a guy, or meet with a guy, or recruit a little bit more than I thought, I mean, I just I knew my wife was going to be okay. And and then she raised four, you know, our four kids, and I'm so thankful. You know, I have a great relationship with my four children, um, and so very proud of what they're doing in life. And I spend as much time with him or with her, I should say, and then we go out and see Michael out in Texas as often as we can now that he's coaching. Uh, my other three kids are here in Tucson, so we get out and spend some time with them. Um, and I'm doing television work. I do television work for the Pac-12. I'm a baseball analyst on the Pac-12 network, so I do some games every year and and um, and just relax, relax, and uh, that's great. Yeah, hang out. That's great. Well, we'll be we'll be watching for you in the Pac-12 network. We'll. We'll try to keep track of you. Uh, really appreciate your time and, and some of the personal uh, stories that uh, some of the personal things you shared with us in order to emphasize the stories. And I think I speak for a lot of people that uh, you talk about the identity and you talk about indifference to human achievement, but a passion for excellence. And I think I'd probably speak for a lot of people that although there you have the rings and the national championships and all that good stuff and famous for being a baseball coach, I think uh, the man is what many of us respect and enjoy, and I really appreciate you being on the Go Six podcast today. Man, my pleasure, Scott. Like I said, I, I've been blessed in many, many ways. The Lord took care of me in ways I never dreamed, never ever dreamed. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm thankful, and if I can give back to, to this game, I, I'll do what I can. So thanks for having me. I appreciate it. No problem, Coach. Thanks so much. We'll talk soon. Okay, Scott. God bless. Bye now. So there you have it. That was Andy Lopez. Fantastic coach, great person, good friend to be able to come on the show. We appreciate it. When we come back, Major League Baseball talk.
Now it's time for our segment, Major League Baseball Talk, conversation and commentary about the league where they play for pay. So the Major League Baseball season has been delayed, obviously, uh, and they're talking about a start in mid-May. And the Major League Baseball and the union, the Major League Baseball Players Association, have been talking about how they're going to proceed once we know when the season can start. And they couldn't really resolve the regular season schedule, but they both agreed to play as many games as possible, and that's good. Um, They agreed to play doubleheaders, and they agreed to extend the season at least into October, maybe further. Uh, One thing we know for sure is that when they get back to playing, they will probably play with no fans in the beginning. And that'll be pretty interesting because what will happen then is they don't have to necessarily play in these big stadiums. They can play in some of their spring training sites and they can play in some neutral sites and minimize some of the travel that's involved. And that'll help from a revenue standpoint from for each of these teams. The thing is, is that the... Many teams, the majority of teams, don't rely on ticket sales or even selling concessions and gear in the stadiums as much as they do these massive TV deals that they already have. So because of these massive TV deals, if they put games on TV, we're going to watch. I don't know about you, but I'm going to watch live sports when I can get it as soon as I can get it. And I don't care if the whole season doesn't have fans uh, in stadiums, I'm going to watch. And I think they should do this. I think fans will watch. I think we need live sports so the sooner we can get baseball back, whether there's fans or not, it's going to be a good thing. And they don't want to wait too long on it because we they want to maintain our interest. And I can guarantee you that once the season starts, even without fans, they'll sell gear, uh, they'll maintain our interest, like I said, and baseball will thrive, and then it will really, really thrive. Fans will be going to the ballpark in droves once it starts. So let's really hope that we can all continue to do our part here and help flatten this curve with the coronavirus, and we can get back to semi-normal. Normal's not going to happen for a long, long time, and it might not be the, the normal that we're used to, it'll be a new normal, but we'll gradually get back into sports and get back into baseball. And the way to do it is for everyone to do their part. But I think if Major League Baseball does it first without fans, that's going to be great. Play as many games as you can. And I've said this before in a previous MLB talk, the season with fewer games, once it starts, is going to be an intense exciting season. There's going to be more value put on each individual game. So keep our fingers crossed. Say some prayers. Can't wait for baseball to be back. That's Major League Baseball Talk. So welcome back to the show. Hey, remember you can Email us at go6podcast at yahoo.com. That's go, the numeral six, podcast at yahoo.com. You can follow us on Twitter at frozenrope8. 
That's at Frozen Rope 8. And either of those things, you can comment, you can ask questions, you can give a shout out to your team or buddies on your team or whoever. Um, and we'd love to incorporate that into the show. Also, if you're listening on the Anchor Podcast or the Apple Podcast, you can tap the message button and leave an audible message. And we'll incorporate that right into the show. So again, that can be the form of a shout out to your teammates, a comment, or a question. So the playlist song of the week is a song that we suggest every week that you add to your playlist. And I've said this before, but I'll mention it again. We can't play it on our podcast because of copyright restrictions, but we like to suggest a song every week that maybe you can go Google or download from wherever you get your music from. So the playlist song of the week this week is by Zaid Wolf. He's an artist that I mentioned in a previous podcast, a song of the week called Cold-Blooded. But this one struck me. Uh, it's called Top of the World. And some of the lyrics in it just made me think about what we're all going through here and how glorious it will be when we get through this together. Um, some of the lyrics are, but we know we're okay, just like a storm that's rising, lights up the spark inside us. Don't act like it's surprising. Put your hands up, raise them higher. We made it. We made it. We're on top of the world. And I think when we get through this, this song, if you play it, if you load it and you listen to it, you can visualize a light at the end of the tunnel. It's pretty inspirational. Download it. Listen to it and stay positive. Zade Wolf, top of the world. So that'll do it for us this week. Thanks for listening wherever you are. Please tell somebody else about the podcast so we can continue to grow. Stay tuned because we'll continue to do our short special edition podcasts in between the weekly podcasts. So I'm going to keep at it, try to get 1% better, and can't wait to be with you next time.